just two local guys with so much to say. So listen to the real estate brothers today. This is the episode 40, the June 2021 monthly market update with the real estate brothers, me and Dean. All right. Can't believe it's been uh, 40 episodes, 40 weeks in a row straight. I don't believe we, I hope I didn't jinx it, but I think we haven't skipped any weeks so far, huh? Yeah, let's hit the intro. We just do local guys with so much to say today. And welcome everybody. Tell everybody what you're drinking this Thursday, Thursdays. Hey everyone, um, I'm Dean Ueda. I'm a former CPA, now real estate investor and realtor. And I have, don't laugh, Lane, I'm drinking some Michelob Ultra today. Low carb, right? Low carb, yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone brought it over the other day and said, oh, I might as well finish this up. How about you? What are you drinking today? I'm drinking the Pinot Grigio from Costco. It's about $5.98. Oh, nice. Uh, it tastes like a hundred dollars. Actually, there's a new tip for wine drinkers out there, Claudine wines. So you can buy like a hundred twenty, hundred fifty dollar bottles of wine for 40, 50 bucks. Cause what they do is they make deals with the winery and they white label it under them. So you can get like really expensive bottles for a third of the price. Oh, nice. Oh, interesting. Okay. And that's white and red? Mostly reds. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like Claudine wines. So they'll yeah. go to, I think it's Coonsville or. I think it's like the popular place, but that's like a stag sleep. Oh, okay, yeah, stag sleep. I like that one. Okay. Well, if you guys are tuning in, you must be seeing us on multiple channels. It would be love it if you guys could check out my YouTube channel. I started it uh, maybe like a year ago in the heart of COVID, but every week I stream some nuggets of value ads, like about five minutes each. Tune in, subscribe. I would love it if you guys uh, interact with me. So let's jump into the real estate market statistics. So as today is only the third day past May, we haven't had any official information from the Honolulu Board of Realtors yet. It'll come out this coming Sunday or Monday, I think Sunday actually. So just the Nostradamus prediction for May is we're gonna have another record-breaking month for May 2021 in terms of median single-family homes. We're going to be around 978000 which is breaking our previous record of March 2021 of $950,000. So we're edging up to that million-dollar median price mark in Honolulu Lane. Kind of crazy. Condos are actually creeping up too. We're going to be at just under 458000 for condo and townhouse median prices, which is up from 399000 in same time last year. So that one is also creeping up. I'm not too sure. It's getting up there in terms of close to the record median price for a condo and townhouses. I think it's like 458. So it'll be pretty close. But I think the, the whole story as it's been in the last, I don't know how long, is going to be the single family home. And as I like to do, I like to talk about trends at a high level. So I, again, at the beginning, I slap in these charts that we can just look at how the lines are going. So new listing trends for the last three years it's nothing crazy you have the up and down but it we have new listings coming on board if you draw a line it's slightly dropping but for the most part I think it's stable a little bit of a downward trend I would say but what we'll see when you look at homes for sale active here's where you see in the last year and a half where it's 
definitely going down. It's making it really hard for our buyers. It's, it's really a strong seller's market. So again, next slide, we're looking at month's supply of inventory, meaning if we were to stop having any new inventory pop up today, how many months would it last? So for the end of May, we have single family, we have one month of inventory. And for condos, we have two months of inventory. And you can see the trend is consistently going down. So again, making it tougher for our buyers and making our sellers have all the leverage in the world. Yeah. So that's seven. And again, this is really high level. Everything is local. So in some areas, it's going to be a different story, but that's more of the high level. I wanted to transition over to military PCS season right now. So now we're hitting the heart of the summer months, right? Can you believe, Lane, it's, we're almost halfway through the year. Oh my gosh, it's, it's like we're, it's felt like just last episode we're talking about the new year and vision boards and all planning and... For 2020, right? Yeah. New, oh yeah, that's right. But anyway, I digress. Last month, I was helping a lot of my local clients and friends find realtors in the mainland as they were getting their PCS orders. This month, I'm getting in a lot of calls from military buyers overseas that are coming here. So just an anecdotal analysis, I'm thinking that the increased inventory from the military sellers have occurred in the past months because majority of them planned ahead and started listing their properties early and attempt to sell. And now we're having the buyers are coming in now and then they're looking. Again, this is real anecdotal because you have ones that may be selling after they move and you may have buyers who are looking before they came. But I think in general, I think what this means to us here is that we're going to have more buyers from this PCSing than inventory popping up in general. So just more guys at the party, right? More guys, right? <laughs> yeah, going to the club. That's why sellers come in free and the guys have to pay a high cover. But perhaps <laughs> in the future, the, the tides will turn. We'll see what happens when all that forbearance. Is yeah, on, right? that's, that's true. And then that kind of segues into the next that we're talking about, Lane, in terms of tourism, right? So I don't know about you, but I have friends, family, and, and clients who are, are getting called back are the ones that were the frontline workers in tourism over in like Waikiki. So I have a lot of friends who've been getting the call over the past three-day weekend, actually, because now that they're ramping up in terms of flights coming in. So looking at the statistics now for June, this is from DBED. And so we're, our flights coming in domestically are catching up to what they were almost like pre-COVID in terms of domestic side. But what we're lacking is on the international flights coming in. Of course, Japan, um, not letting anybody, letting even us go there. But so what the challenge is there is that it's the international travelers and tourists that come here that actually stay longer and actually spend more money. So even though we're up to almost 80% of how we were pre-COVID in terms of flights coming in, that additional 20 percent that were or that difference that we're lacking is from the international flights and those are the ones that brought us the overall margins or larger revenues in general in terms of tourism are you saying the people that coming over are just like the bargain hunters that's true too because of the flights right because they're offering cheaper flights and stuff too but i think more so just in general is that the international travelers stay longer and, and spend more there might be truth to that too like you're saying lane because even you know, if I had my way and I'd be traveling and trying to be traveling at a deep discount, right? Take advantage of that. So I'm sure there's a lot of that too. But and the point to your comment about what's going to happen further down the line, if we're going to see more 
foreclosures or distressed property sales because of all of these forbearance and things that were the government is is providing to us and so who knows what's going to happen down the future right? yeah. and when it does I, th- I think it'll probably be more the mainland than here but yeah it always the reminder that some people haven't been working for over a year and others haven't been paying their mortgage for the same amount of time and and that's just a chunk of money that tax on to the end and if that benefit was ever removed then that's going to be a big game changer, I think. So people don't know what forbearance is. So basically they let people not pay their mortgages for a while because of the pandemic, but it didn't mean that their payments didn't start to occurring. So right now, if you put your loans on kind of forbearance, if you had a Freddie, Freddie Fannie loan, you're going to allow the banks at this, you may be looking at 10, $20,000 of a bill that you got to pony up now. And knowing most people who go into forbearance, uh, they don't have 20 grand lying around, if, especially if they were out of work for six to 12 months. So that kind of thing is working its way through the system. So people yeah. don't know how this is going to react. I had George Newberry on my podcast oh. who buys distressed properties and he's licking his chops right now that a lot of blood is going to be coming through the system. Do you, do you know when the forbearance is going to go away? I don't really keep up too much. I- yeah, it's been going on for so long. I'm not sure. You just figure you just never have to pay your bills. Yeah. You see, what adds to the challenge of this is be the fact that you also are challenged in terms of your, if you're trying to refinance or obtain new debt. Yeah. So that's, I think, gonna add. How you said George is smelling the blood in the water. I'm thinking when you do that, you're biding your time, but it's also reducing your uh, other options. Yeah. So that's the challenge, I think. And and I know George, I, I read his book and I know he's been through a few cycles himself. So I'm sure he's ready to jump all over the opportunity, right? So have your dry powder ready. But anyway, this this slide was just playing on the previous slide where we're talking about on the left side, it's 100% was at that blue line was what we were at pre-COVID. And now if you look at this yellow line, how the passengers are coming up, we're at that 80% mark. Yeah. Again, this is domestic flights, which are, which are the ones bumping up. And we need a, a good mix in terms of international as well as domestic coming in. And um, yeah, I've talked to a few of the workers have, that have gone back and then asked them also, how are things, how are things in Waikiki? And he's like, yeah, things look like they're picking up. And so I asked him, oh, how, well, how's, how's work in terms of just the atmosphere and things like that? And he's like, so the responses that I've got is things haven't changed, but they're working with, with smaller crews because they haven't bumped up to fully staffed. So they're working with, not to say skeleton crews, but like smaller crews to handle the crowds that are coming in as well as needless to say the new covid procedures that they have to follow and stuff like that but but the ones going back seem to be happy to be doing so so that's a good sign so one thing i wanted to end with my son started playing a lot of tennis recently so i've been trying to pay attention to like even the pros i think the french open is going on right now and the biggest buzz that's hitting the media by storm naomi osaka after her first round she she won her first round but she actually has pulled out of the french open because she was getting a pressure i think regarding from the media to do the press conferences that are mandatory and it's in their contracts and stuff but prior to going into the french open she had said she didn't want to talk to the press and they, they tried to 
make her and they find her when she didn't so then she said okay she's gonna pull out and she had afterwards she mentioned it was because she's had bouts of depression in the past amongst other things it's actually a really big thing in the tennis community now and i was actually just before jumping on our podcast listening to some more comments and so one of the big things is mental health and us realizing that i believe we missed it by three days but i believe may was mental health awareness month three days off something for everyone to consider i put some statistics on this slide where it says one in five u.s adults experience mental illness each year it's interesting too i don't know about you lane but i've been talking to friends reaching out and more people i talk to i am finding out that people some of my friends and clients talk about having this kind of situation where you know in the past or currently where they have depression or bouts of it so i i don't know it's yeah, most people have some kind of depression like it's staggering how many people take antidepressants yeah you're most weird if you don't yeah or don't go to a psychiatrist or something like that but yeah for for me it's like wow it's it's the point i guess i was trying to wanted to make is especially now with i, I guess we're coming out of covid but we still don't know what the new normal is going to be but we talked about this in previous episodes too right when we say reach out to your loved ones and talk story to them because a lot of times a random text a random phone call a random zoom call can mean the world to some people and just i don't know about you but i've gotten calls from friends and, and that i haven't heard from a long time and it, it just is it's a little bit of a pick-me-up and it just makes me feel a little bit better i'm assuming if someone is who is really down and out gets gets a random call you, you could make a difference keep that in mind something not really related to the mental health but related to this naomi osaka incident was they're talking about how the media plays into these professional athletes. And I know, Lane, you pay attention to, I think, NBA stuff, but they're saying about how the whole thing with the press and, and needing to talk to the press post-game or post-tournament press conferences have are antiquated from the standpoint of the purpose because a lot of the professional athletes can reach out directly to their followers directly with social media or whatnot. So not to say that you don't need the media. Back in the day, the media would react this to like a MLB player who didn't want to talk to them and say, Hey man, I'm the one that's making you and getting you paid your money. That may not be the case in this day and age. So it started spurring up all these conversations on social media in terms of the media and professional sports and the, the relationship. So I thought that was interesting too. Here, so they don't, they don't find me, right? They need to bring that back. Oh yeah. I remember. No, who is that? Yeah, I remember that one for football. I think that was Marshawn Lynch that said that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. With his headphones on and he's just sitting there, right? Yeah. Not even paying yeah. attention. Yeah, Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving, Candace Parker, they all went a little bit there for a little bit. But it's normal. People, a lot of people are like that. No shame. There's a lot of apps. I know a lot of people say they like the apps. They just, you don't have to drive anywhere and you just talk to a licensed therapist. I forget oh. what that app. There's a lot of them out there that do it, but better than nothing giving health advice mm -hmm. for sure but people would say that's pretty cool but yeah let's get in to see what's happening on the national uh, level here if you guys like more of this passive investing talk check out my podcast simplepassivecashflow.com and here we go here's some high level teaching points here don't kill the chicken just eat the eggs right buy assets that produce income and eat the income or if you don't need to eat the income put it to more investments that's a secret finances we're done that easy everybody would be doing but another part of this is investing tax efficiently right a little 
deer. There's licking the back of the neck of the other deer. They love it when you just flip houses and trade, buy and sell things because the IRS is getting a piece of the action. That's why we like real estate because we can shelter a lot of the gains through losses, paper losses from the asset. Oh, this is a joke here. The more random people jogging around for no reason signifies that it's a class A uh, property. Yeah, let's get into the monthly report here. So I think everybody's been seeing this in the news, but prices of lumber and other commodities are skyrocketing through the roof more than three times where it was baseline prior to 2020. And this is inflation, guys. This is exactly what we've been telling you guys since the start of the 40 episodes. What is that, three years ago? Three years? Yeah, three years ago, we started this thing. Buy assets because if you keep your money locked up in your home as equity or checking account or not doing anything, you're going to lose because right now there's a great shift in wealth. The people that have money are putting their money in things that will go up with the pace of inflation. The people who don't are going to be losers and getting their money devalued over time. So be Akamai. Don't sit on your wealth. So we had a correction in the crypto arena recently. I don't know. I'm going to play around a little bit with this stuff, maybe one to five percent of my net worth. In my own humble opinion, I feel like if your net worth is lower, you should do less. Go out and build a portfolio of prudent cash flow and get to a point where you can do, do some of these more asymmetric plays. But I don't know, Dean, you play around with any of this Bitcoin stuff or? I actually am so to your point exactly and it's just the best way is to just jump in and try but not with a whole bunch of, yeah are you uh, doing so there's three types of ways you can play this there's the stable coins where you maybe get five to ten percent returns where you're basically lending your money out to other people trading this stuff number two is you're buying Bitcoin or ethereum kind of the blue chip cryptos or are you buying more of the altcoins, the asymmetric risk, high risk, high reward type of stuff? What are you doing? I just started off by buying some of the, like you said, the blue chip stuff. So some um, Bitcoin and some Ethereum. And then I bought s some of this other crypto that I was going to do some staking. So I was going to try just dabble in that where, where I would get, I believe it's Ethereum and that other crypto coin and have it staked on a platform and then they would be paying me so that it's like putting it in the the virtual bank where they would be paying me interest and then they had use of that crypto like keeping it in a bank right but because on a blockfi.com or like a DeFi platform it was a DeFi platform yeah, yeah. wow you're really going all in man <laughs> i haven't done it yet but i was something that i was okay. just gonna okay. try on but um, yeah. yeah yeah blockfi they they pay a little bit not much so i was just gonna try this and like like how you're seeing lane or it's just i'm not a specialist but i just wanted to dabble in it just to be able to expose myself to it so uh, talking to friends who are getting more heavy into it and, and taking the time to research and so i'm, I'm that's what I was going to try to do just so that we can have these conversations with people because if not doing anything, I would have, it, it's really hard to have discussions with people who are doing it if, if you're just reading about you. Yeah. yeah. So why are you going to do the DeFi instead of the BlockFi? So again, the DeFi, that play was, is just to see how, how that works. It's really with not much money because my main strategy was just how you mentioned uh, one of the options where I was going to just have some blue chip crypto and hold it, keep it in BlockFi. And again, so in this strategy, I'm using my deferred, I guess my solo 401k money. I'm going to use my solo 401k. And part of the reason is in theory, less tracking for tax purposes because my CPA is 
doesn't really want to deal with it, it so is your deferred your qrp plan is it like checkbook control so it's initially it's the the us the dollars i rolled it over from my old 401k plans and then i put it into a solo 401k plan in a bank yeah so just a traditional bank has to go to your custodian to write a, a quarter or do you have checkbook control Oh, sorry. My apologies. I do have checkbook control. So I have the checkbook as, and I have full authority in the solo for one case scenario as a trustee because I think technically it's a trust. So I have the authority to wire or cut checks to then send it over to the um, exchange. And then at the point it's at the exchange, then I can trade it at, at the exchange. If I had a retirement account, I would probably be investing through a syndication. So that's how I, that's how I would yeah, not screw around with it. Yeah, and and that's what I plan to do too. And yeah, I, again, like how you mentioned, Lynn, we just I'm using a really small portion for the crypto, and then the remainder sitting in my solo for one K. I want to put that into syndications and not even. Oh no no the, the Bitcoin like your allocation of Bitcoin or, okay. or crypto syndicate syndications for that stuff. Oh wow, okay. What I would do. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of like ETFs and stuff like that for something that's instead of walking around with your USB wallet. I think I th- I would pay pay for that type of stuff. That's just an idea, especially if it was like retirement fund, something to think about. That's a good point. Yeah, maybe I'll look into that. Thanks for that, Lee. We'll see. But all right, moving on. So homeowners most common regrets about purchasing their current home is they should be regretting it because they're buying into one of the hottest sellers market of all time at the moment. I don't know why you want to be buying into a seller's market, but here's here are the, the regrets. The biggest ones is maintenance and other costs are too high, bought a too small of a house, bad location, didn't get the best mortgage rate, bought too big of a house, mortgage payment too high, overpaid too much where they realized it wasn't a good investment. So this graph shows the difference between all ages versus millennials, the breakdown of regrets. So they're, statistically, they're like double of everybody else, pretty much in terms of having re- regrets for buying. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Maybe like people getting married in their 20s. I don't know. Maybe that's a bad joke. Right, so net population growth by county. So I think we see a lot of different charts and graphs out there that illustrates per state which i think is useless and bad data this one is broken down for county a uh, better differentiator of where the population is going up which to me is the biggest indicator of where you should invest other than what rent increases per year where this past month i've invested in texas alabama and i did vegas so next time we meet up in vegas it's be a business expense Oh, cool. Yeah, sounds good. I'm doing Vegas too, I believe. So Yeah, I sure hope it's a good investment. So the Harvard came up with the study kind of showing the differences between millennials and other generations. Some of the big differences are marital status. So millennials are less likely to get married than earlier generations. Homeownership, millennials have a less likelihood to become homeowners than previous generations at the same age. Millennial home ownership is rapidly catching up in recent years, however. Average personal income, despite the popular meter portrayal of struggling millennials, their average personal income has surpassed that of earlier generations as they age into. They got the money, is what they're saying on average. And then multifamily residents share the millennial generation living in multifamily housing far more frequently than baby boomers did. But they're following their parents' migration to single family homes. And some people say that's like 
another reason why the current uh, rise in prices because you got baby boomers downsizing the starter homes, millennials competing for those starter homes, pushing prices up. I don't really buy it. It's to me, it's just simple supply and demand. It's super low supply right now, as evidence. Tax changes potentially coming up. I would be pretty confident that these are going to be pushed through. But Biden's getting rid of the 1031 exchange for capital gains greater than 500,000. So if you're trading up less than $500,000, you don't really have to worry. As of yet, we'll see if this truly gets put into play here. But I think this is a good idea. I'm not a big fan of the 1031 exchange, and I think most sophisticated investors don't really use them because they don't clump their money all into one investment. That's not diversification. I don't think you should have any more than 10% of your net worth into any one asset. But I think what this hits is the lazy that gets pushed around, that they have these huge gains. I think that is who should be taxed, humble, right? Not the smart people, money, not the people hustling, trying to improve themselves, learn, get smart, surround themselves with the right people, but the people that don't care, they don't know. The old money, that's the 90% of money that is lost in two or three generations. So carried interest, for those of you guys who don't know, is like how mutual fund managers get paid. There's this thing called the two and 20 rule. So they get 2% asset management fee as sort of their load fee. And then they get a certain percentage of the upside, typically on 20%. So that's called carried interest. So currently how things are structured right now, they get taxed at a lower rate for that carried interest, which is unfair in my opinion. It's income to them, but they get they somehow finagled or lobbied their way to call this carried interest to get taxed at a lower rate. And right now, that's on the chopping block right now to get put right back at the regular 37% tax bracket for those dollars. But those people out there who are like, yeah, screw the one, that's probably a good one you know, for people think like that. I don't know. Free parsley, I don't really think like that, but I think that's fair. To me, it's income. All income should be the same. Unless it's from real estate. You're the modern day Robin Hood. So new construction took a nosedive in 2020. So it was steadily increasing for quite a while. And then it took a nosedive for obvious reasons, the pandemic. So we'll show a little slide later on the housing um, shortage. Sam Zell is another old guy on the same level of Warren Buffett. Not too many people know about Sam Zell, but he's another star of finance and investing but he's here touting on gold as inflation is here taking over. That's a pretty interesting one, Lane. I know, I know maybe prior to this, I don't know if you want to call it the crash, but when the crypto kind of took a nosedive a few weeks ago, I, I was thinking a lot of people in lieu of gold were throwing stuff in the blue chip cryptos as a means to hedge from inflation or hyperinflation as Sam is. So I was wondering, huh, I wonder if I should buy some gold for fun too yeah gold and crypto is the same thing right it's a sort of a store of wealth i disagree with Senzel on this i think he's stuck in his ways right gold's probably going to be the top king in his lifetime for sure but right now what is gold market cap a 10 trillion crypto is a trillion the fastest thing they ever got to a trillion i don't know what do you think in the next 30 40 years you think crypto is going to be more than gold. That's a good point. I, I, yeah, like you said, I'm getting out of that mindset where it's like, I think I mentioned before, before I got into real estate, I, I was only thinking stock market 401k. And after I started to do real estate, it opened my eyes. And so what made me think of crypto was if crypto is like how I viewed real estate, I, I need to really take a look at it seriously as a viable means of legacy wealth or 
at least to diversify my portfolio because uh, the haters of crypto are, like you said, Lane, a lot of them are the old mindset. And I don't know, so much has changed in terms of the economies and technology to layer on top of everything that it's, it's just such a new ballgame. So yeah, it behoove myself and my family not to try something. It's an emerging asset, that's for sure. I don't know if you don't listen to my podcast if you're so tired of me. No, I do sometimes. The, check out the last two podcasts on crypto. Like one of the big aha moments there was like, if you look at which are the countries that are adopting crypto, it's all like the countries that have just gone the crack, like Nigeria, all the African countries and places because they've lost trust in their country, their federal reserves. And they ditched that to more stable thing, which is cryptocurrency that is decentralized. I don't know, part of me feels like America is always going to be the strongest thing out there and controls the world policy. So it's US dollars, all right, but the whole rest of the world is going to this stuff. And it, it's a, a very libertarian thing. It takes power out of the countries and into the people and where yeah. the, the currency can't get. That's, a, that's almost like egocentric and it, it could be, be our downfall too, right? From that. Yeah, so again, personally, I'm, I'm not going to do more than 5% of my net worth at this point. Yeah. But at least enough to understand it a little bit. So in the case that we need to move in that direction or pivot somehow, then we can. Yeah. And it's definitely not, on the one hand, it's good that the big banks have started to invest in it because yep. they're not dumb money. But then again, if Elon Musk can get on Twitter and troll everybody to pump up his Dogecoin, then that's showing that how immature the markets are. So there's yep. still room to go as an immature market, but I think there's a time to get in because I don't think it's going to fall down, but it's still the time is now to get in. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think it's too late. Of course, the people who got in years ago are all sitting happy and, and but I, I don't think it's too late still either. Yeah. I have some guys in my family office group and it's funny. They weren't the first did this stuff for sure. They got in the past like couple years, but their positions grew to be a pretty large sum, I want to say 20 to 30% of their net worth. But when I really quiz them on it, I come to find that they really only put in five to 10% and the damn thing grew to be 30% yeah. of their net worth. But now they're playing with house money. So it's kind of like yep. hockey, right? Yep. So it's hard for you to come in now and putting even 5% yep. of your net worth into yep. the stuff yep. and see it go up. But if you don't put in, you never get in. Same thing like buying a rental property, if you never get in. You're always going to be the fool of tire kicking from the outside. Can't time that appreciation uptick, right? So like you yeah. said. Yeah. Now's the time, if anything, if you're sitting on your cash, you're going to be a loser. Inflation is engulfing, taking your money away. You're still going to leave you at the same dollar saying could be worth jack. That's the thing. Yep. Yep. So top five Sunbelt markets for industrial construction, Dallas, Houston, Phoenix, and the Empire, Memphis, in that order. Are millennials living cities? Yes, but young adults are not. So if you guys watch this on the YouTube channel, we also have this on the podcast too, for those of you guys listening on the podcast, iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher. You guys don't see these cool charts, but it shows how people are moving outside of the top 50 MSAs, which are like the big cities and moving more towards the smaller. But overall, real estate's good. Housing supply is low. It is, people need a place to live and the prices keep going up with all this craziness and this is the way i look at it yeah i think crypto and all this stuff will be way more if you put all your money in you're probably going to do better but to me i don't need that much money i just want to live happy life with real estate 
consistent returns and not pay too much taxes due to the tax benefits. And Lane, yeah. to supplement this lack of housing supply and, and that giant drop, that previous slide that you had regarding the price of lumber going up, point being that if the supply of housing is low and the cost to build is just going up and up, that just tells you where it, it, there's not going to be a quick and easy solution where we're going to have a housing supply bump up in a snap with the, the cost to build these houses um, going up. It, it's going to obviously provide, I guess, in terms of barriers to build these houses timely. And so with that said, we'll have a supply and demand issue for a while. No? Yeah, it takes even the most nimble of operators a year to put get something up. For most operations, institutional builders, it's going to take them three years. Even if things open up now, you're looking for a two or three year lag to more inventory coming on board. So this just not built overnight. Yeah. And in the state of Hawaii too, we have other issues too, in terms of we have permitting issues and a backlog. How long did it take to build the damn core ridge, right? That's like a decade or two. So it was over 20 years in the making because they also had issues with environmental groups. I think Sierra Club were fighting building that because that was all farmland, yeah, agriculture. Yeah. That was ag land. So besides, there's so many different barriers, right? I've asked a bunch of construction engineers try to get them to like, hey, let's go build stuff in Hawaii. And even the people in the industry are like, no way, man. Just do that mainland stuff. There's no like red tape and all this nonsense you have to, which is so sad. And that's the challenge that Hawaii's had in terms of trying to bring business and industry here, right? Tried to do to do the high tech thing and offer all kinds of tax incentives. Tried to bring the movies and the movie industry here, which helped. But um, still, the the biggest challenge we have is how do we get off of the tourism industry? So next behind that is is military. I mean, we talked about the PCSing and stuff like that. So yeah, that's Hawaii has some big challenges, and and so that inventory shortage is gonna be a long time waiting so that's why even for me it's not hard to talk to home buyers in terms of i think our situation is a lot different compared to the rest of the uh, 48 contiguous states one of the few times we should take advantage of being out here on, on a bunch of rocks versus attached to the mainland yeah hawaii is a great place to live if you got money but honestly i don't know how people make it yep. here the or cost of paradise yeah but things are looking up. John Burns came up with this chart here tracking the affordability or, you know, kind of tracks the pricing. So they're predicting a good 2021, 22, 23 for prices to go up is what this basically is saying. Still, their projections aren't getting anywhere near where it was in 2007, 2006. But people think things are expensive. They get more, right? This one is saying it's getting more. But the, the curveball here is, again, what's going to happen with foreclosures coming through. But that's the end here. If you guys would like to join our mastermind to get uh, access to other pure passive investors, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey. We put a pause here in the incubator. We'll be a little bit busy here in my life for the next, I don't know, rest of the year. So we stopped doing the incubator, which was supposed to help younger guys get started with their own remote rental properties, investing outside of the state for cash flow, get started. But yeah, if you guys like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel. What else do we got? The podcast, the the website, ralofo.com. Anything you want to plug this month? Oh, with this new platform, we, we're trying to get out as to as many different uh, venues as possible. So hopefully we'll be on LinkedIn soon. 
and like you said the youtube various facebook channels all right we'll see you guys next time hey. aloha aloha green real estate investing group check out reialoha.com Hey, just some legal stuff here. Although these two brothers are pretty knowledgeable and have over 2,100 rental units and own over $160 million worth of real estate, the preceding are only ideas and not to be taken as legal, tax, or financial advice, okay? You should always seek the professional advice of other professionals on your team and think for yourself and do your own due diligence, okay? Aloha. <laughs>